Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I am your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so glad to be here with you today. Hey, singing to us in the background is our good buddy, Dave Barnes, who actually is going to be on the show next week. Get ready for that. And make sure you've grabbed his new album and uh, see him out on tour when he is around. I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest today. His name is Curtis Zachary. He goes by CZ. That's what you'll hear the whole way through. He is a local pastor here in Nashville, and his new book, Soul Rest, comes out next week. You can still pre-order it everywhere you order books or go to soulrestbook.com and learn everything. But CZ is a dear friend of mine. We grab coffee pretty regularly, kind of catch up on lives and writing, and he leads at Church of the City, which is a church here in Nashville that I love, and I have great friends that are there. And so we love talking church and life, and particularly he's a good voice in my life when it comes to rest and finding rest and being still. And so I wanted to have him on the show as we're kicking off the summer as things can either get busier in your life or a little bit quieter. CZ is a good voice to step in right here for us. So after a couple of different worship podcasts in a row, now we have a preacher. So it's like a Sunday morning service that's taken three weeks to happen. So here is my conversation about soul rest and lots of other stuff with my friend CZ. Okay, Susie, welcome to the show. Yes, thank I'm you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here. We just had to start because uh, because you and I's real life friendship, we will just talk forever. That's right. And we were just talking about things we can't talk about. <laughs> you're exactly right. And I love it. I love it. You're right. So let's talk. The, start the actual podcast. I'm in. Welcome to the That Sounds Fun podcast. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for making time, man. Man, what a privilege. You're, this is a wow. long time coming. I love it. Right. The month of May, is it insane for your family like it is for, I mean, this month is crazy for people with kids. Yeah, I think, uh, well, we're kind of in a crazy season just because we have a newborn. Yeah, that's so, right. How old? Uh, two and a half months old now. Oh so gosh. it's crazy. And so a four-year-old, little. which makes any time with kids crazy. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. there you go. Okay, so you have two kids. And how long have y'all been in Nashville? Remind me. So we lived in Nashville for about 10 years. My wife and I, her name's Monique. And she uh, and I moved to California after being here for that stretch of time. We lived there for four years and then just moved back to Nashville in July, it'll be three years. Yeah. So, okay. Will you tell me, this is unique for our show, unfortunately. Yeah. Will you tell me you and Monique's racial makeup? Yeah. So I'm biracial, half black, half white. My wife is Mexican-American. So then we have tri-racial kids, yes, which is do. fun. Is so, that a thing? Yeah. Well, it is now. It is in your family. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Call it what you like, but that's, yeah. that's true. Yeah. When you think about raising two kids with black heritage, white heritage, and Mexican heritage. Yeah. How do you teach all that? Yeah, I think it's just being present inside of the realities of what is. You know, it's not even so much a projection around how to do it uh, intentionally as much as it's just paying attention to the reality of what exists. You know, their family is comprised of all of those components. So it's not even really this intentional thing that I need to find or discover or mine for. It's really almost like... We just pay attention to what is, what exists in all aspects of the sides of our family and acknowledge and appreciate all of those things, you know, and being in a context uh, for us, which is really apart from both of our upbringing. I grew up in New Jersey. My wife grew up in Sacramento. So that level of intentionality is necessary just to be there and be present and lean in. But as far as what it takes to to acknowledge all those components, really isn't as difficult as you would think, you know? Yeah, because it's really the only reality y'all have ever known. That's it's right. not like you're switching realities. Exactly, Yeah. exactly. And, and I think that that's where it's a unique dynamic 
being biracial, uh, being in, an, in a multiracial relationship and family, uh, just obviously for me as a biracial individual, no matter what I do, I'm in a multiracial individual yeah. uh, or uh, relationship. But yeah. I think what's interesting uh, for like adoptive parents and things like that, where they're incorporating uh, a new culture into their family and then vice versa, it really does take a lot more intentionality because so much of the surrounding uh, inherently to their family requires uh, for you to introduce things into a child's life and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Where for us, it's just kind of like, no, we're compri- we are actually comprised of these things. Right. And it's all really, quote unquote, mixed together. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, 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 yeah. When you think about like, do you end up being the token black guy a lot? Because you work in an incredibly good church that we love yeah. here in Nashville. Yeah. That is not all white, but it's leans yeah. toward a lot of white people on staff and that attend. Do you have to like represent people groups all the time? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I feel like, you know, there's there's layers and multifaceted uh, viewpoints to what that is and represents and means. I yeah. think um, and yeah. you can always say, we aren't going to talk about that if you don't want to talk no, about that. No, no, I'm no, just no. interested. I'm just like, <laughs> totally. it's not on my notes. Come on. You you know you can talk right. to me about anything. Right. And I, yeah, I feel like it's it's really interesting just because there is a ho- like a high level of intentionality in our community about learning what it means to be a multicultural church. I think that there's yeah. a, a very beautiful and hard, you know, process that it is required to get to a place where that's true about your community. It takes intentionality. We've used that word a lot already, but yeah, I yeah, think yeah. it's really important, you know, it takes intentionality. And so it, it matters how you hire people, how you uh, position yourself in relationships, mm-hmm. uh, the posture of learning that you hold. And I think that that's extremely necessary, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're doing, if you hold that value highly. So with that, I think there are challenges that come with being one of a few minorities in a majority culture situation. Yeah. So I don't feel as comfortable like jumping right into being the token because I think sometimes what's interesting about that is, though I do believe that that is I possible mean, me too. and has been. That's my, I mean, in a lot of yeah. spots, the female one who well, preaches totally. on the stage exactly. is the token. Exactly. Yeah. And, I, and I think it's definitely possible. And I yeah. believe that I have been. But what I've learned as God has continued to uh, grow me up and nurture my heart, soften my heart, is to also help me to see that it's not just intentional tokenism as much as it's a level of naivety connected to a genuine pursuit to see things change. So sometimes inadvertently you feel like or come across as that person uh, with that, uh, if you are on the outside Mm. kind of viewpoint, you know, Mm -hmm. to say, oh, well, I see that. And it seems like you're positioned as this. Whereas it may be true. Right. But, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, you hear that old adage that like relationships look different inside of the relationship than they do outside. And um, sometimes it's helpful to have a voice from the outside speak into it. Uh, Other times the voice from the outside has no idea what they're talking about. So it's kind of holding the balance of that. And so I would say uh, to answer your question, you know, I think, yes, there have been times in my life where I've been very aware of that. Kind of to your point, you know, being in a place where uh, you are recognized as somebody who can, you know, do a job, fill a role and also represent an aspect of of culture or uh, people groups that, you know, are necessary to engage with in your 
in your respective community. So um, that's going to be the case. But I think, you know, just like I know to be true about you as well, you find this place inside of your heart to say, okay, all of that may be the case, but who am I inside of this yeah. current situation? Yeah. And what does that really look like and mean for the way that I live out and lead out of this situation? Yeah. And continuing to seek to be in communion with God will help to, I think, tell me the times where, yeah, this isn't the one, you know, yeah. <laughs> this isn't where you need to be. So Yeah. It's a newer spot for me. Mm. Uh, you know, I taught elementary school, right. and so I was in a building full of women in leadership, right. but they were, you know, leading kids, leading each other, right. leading right. Uh, that environment. And so it has been really eye-opening me for me to sit in a leadership position at my church, but outside of my church and other places right. too, where, where you feel like you're you're being listened to, but you're also rising. You're the only one who's yeah. thinking like this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I'm I'm listened to beautifully, and people, I'm not unheard. And there are situations where people in a minority group are not heard. Yeah. And they're in leadership, but it is it is legitimately token. And I love, not, I love how you even, you know, kind of capsulize that, because a minority group has connotations to us inherently. So we think minority, we think some sort of race or color, but yeah. what you just said is very important. You know, a minority group is someone who would be on the fridges or the margins in a respective situation. And it's clear that in ministry, uh, especially in the ways that have been established, you know, in our culture, women are a part of that mm -hmm. minority. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important for you to understand from that perspective that a minority way of thinking does require nuanced layers of, of understanding. And, and I think what you just said is so important. I, I remember hearing somebody talk about this idea of uh, specifically two women in ministry or women in leadership. And uh, they were talking about how even in the times where there is a desire to empower and to give a seat at a table to uh, women in leadership, uh, it is with this great intention to see it happen and yeah. actually desirous of those women to step into that role. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that the people who are putting women in power or giving them these positions is they forget that women have not inherently been given these positions so they don't necessarily know no, what to do with what them. to do or how to operate right, in it. That's so right. one of the things that happens is you have somebody say, hey, we're giving you this position. We want you to run in it. And you're kind of saying, yeah, I want to run in it, but this is not just default thinking for me to just yes. own this leadership, yes. step into it. Have you it felt that it. too? Well, exactly. And I think that that's where we're saying minority thinking is important to understand yeah. because it's not just race. It's not just gender. It's people who are not uh, in power structures where they're mm -hmm. on the margins, understanding what that looks like. So, And it's almost yeah. like how people who win the lottery always blow the money poorly because they have what they've always wanted. Right. No one has taught them how to handle it with grace and wisdom. That's right. And so one of the things we get to do, especially in our leadership spots in our churches and in our city and sure. in our lives, is we I get to make the mistakes yeah. up front. Yeah. Because people before me suffered. Mm -hmm. Like there are women, mm -hmm. and you know, this is true for your story too, but there are people before me who really suffered yeah. so that I could step into this spot, right. even though I don't exactly know what to do. I'll make the mistakes so that the ones behind me have gotten the permission mm -hmm. and have gotten the wisdom yeah. so that they do it well. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, understanding that as the story that has gone before you is so significant. And I think that's one of the things that we don't really do well 
in culture, and, yeah. and you know me, I'm not an overgeneralization guy. I hate right. to t- kind of make wide swath or wide sweeping, you know, kind of statements, but I do think we are so in the moment so often that we do forget who has gone before us in the suffrage and the commitment and the dedication and the faithfulness that right. has laid the groundwork for us, even in the tensions that we experience, right? To be able to even have the opportunity to be in those to tents. have the tension, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's exactly right. So yeah. Totally. That is exactly right. And so I, I um, what is your role at Church of the City? What's your title? Yeah. So, you know, we're in a situation where as a church, it's a unique story and that can be a whole nother podcast. Yeah, it's but a beautiful story. What's it's really unique, cool. but it's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. You have two churches that have come together, essentially merging together in an age and time where churches are kind of dying away and, and filled with a lot of uh, competition at times. You know, you see these two churches uh, coming together and becoming one, and in that there's, meaning, people's church and church of the city. Yeah, and and you okay. have now this this new church, uh, this almost third way that yeah, develops that's what it out has of it. To be, yeah, and it's really beautiful. And in that, you you have all of the things that come with that. You know, just the uh, changing structure, leadership structure, people kind of coming and going. And um, I think in that there's been a lot of fluidity and flexibility for a lot of us to want to lean in in those spaces. Mm. So when I came to join the church, uh, the intention was to be a teaching pastor, preaching and teaching yeah. on Sundays as we planted churches and, and were growing intentionally into neighborhoods. I'd kind of speak into the life of some of those things and then just kind of share my voice to the teaching team. Uh, that hasn't really changed at all. Yeah, it's I was about been, to say you teach all the time. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. A lot yeah. of fun. And I love just being a helper to the team. I get to be a supplement to all of our lead pastors who lead the respective churches in our city. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. I think one of the things that's continued to grow has been the intentionality of having uh, one-on-one time and pastoral care relationships and meetings and conversations with folks who are seeking to grow in the way of Jesus, you know, yeah. be discipled in the so Word. So are you meeting with a lot of people who attend? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's kind of both. I, I think that's what's been a lot of fun is, yeah. you know, as pastoral care uh needs grow, you know, yeah. when your church grows, uh, the need for people to lean into those spaces uh, yeah. obviously increases. So I kind of have, uh, in some ways, just kind of been present in utility spaces, if you will, like just... Oh my gosh, you're so downplaying your role. <laughs> Ple- present in utility spaces, CZ. I'm trying to here. help where I can help is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> say tell everyone your Enneagram number now, <laughs> like they don't know. I'm a two. You're a two, Come for sure on. you're a two. <laughs> Come on. I was just waiting. I can't believe we got this far in without that coming up. That's the most magnificent thing, actually. You, you, you set that up. You softballed that one. Well, you're welcome. Just there in you utility go. space. CZ, get out of here. You're like one of the lead teachers in this city. Oh get out of here. Well, it's fun. And so, yeah, I think what's cool about as this church is, is changing and growing is wanting to be truly representative of that number, a helper yeah, to what's yeah. going on. And I feel like that's the space that allows me to flourish. When I can be in a healthy spot in my mindset and in my understanding, I, I really feel like I thrive in that way. It's like yeah. the true, genuine essence of what it does mean to be a two. Yeah. Uh, but I am fully aware of some of those shadow places yeah, and uh, right. they can creep in real quick. You know. Talk a little bit, because we just did this great thing, CZ, where we did a survey of our listeners. Okay. And a 
big old chunk responded, like far more than we thought. And so now we have like, oh, I actually know who's listening. And before I just thought it was like my mom and (laughs) a couple of my friends. And it is my friends, but there's a lot of our people who are, I mean, over half of our listening audience is 26 to 35. Right. So they're millennials, Mm -hmm. right? And so... I guess I would love for you to talk about the difference between getting being in a job that like fulfills your every need right. and makes you feel good right. and being in a job that helps you flourish. Yeah. Because all of us should go after flourishing jobs. Maybe we don't always need jobs that make us feel good. Yeah. And can you I talk about the difference of those two things? Would love to chat through it. I, you know, just am offering what I have experienced oh my gosh, in my you're own such life. A two. You're such a two. <laughs> but a three would be like, I've got, if Darren was sitting here, Darren Whitehead, your boss, who's a three, he'd be like, yeah, I've got the answers. And he would just say whatever came to his head. Right. And you're like, I'm really going to, I would love to help. I'm just not sure. That's right. Go, well, go. In light of that, here you, here you go. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. We just did a series at our church called Holy Discontent. And there was like this. All about Nehemiah, right? Right. And yeah. there was this hum in the background of my mind as this was occurring. We're teaching through the story of Nehemiah. What does calling look like? What does it mean to live with purpose? And this hum that was in the back of my mind was this thing I couldn't shake, whether I was teaching at one of the churches or listening to one of the sermons. It was this thing that was just fully present. And I think it's kind of connected to exactly what we're saying. Mm -hmm. And the thing that God said to me so clearly was, it's okay to have a holy discontent, but it's not okay to live discontented lives. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that that was the thing that was so clear to me about the pursuit of what it means to understand your calling. Mm -hmm. Calling is something that we all are striving for. We want to understand our purpose. We want to know what we're supposed to do, especially in that age group that you just outlined. It's formative years, uh, not just coming out of college or, you know, these these beginning stages of adulthood or whatever, but it's like, I really need to make my mark. I need to begin Mm -hmm. to plant a flag in the ground. And all of that under the auspices of I want to honor God with who I am. Like that's all there and it's a big mix and it's really important. But the thing that I realized in that series and as I was processing that for myself was the holy discontent is this thing that rises up in your heart that you look at and you say, this is not right and I need Mm. to lean into it. Like what is God putting in my heart that is antithetical to what I witness as wrong in the earth. You know, that's what that's what calling really is. It's vocare, calling your voice, like the thing that you can't help but say. It's it's this thing in you. So holy discontent is important, but I think sometimes in that particular phase and season of life, we confuse a holy discontent with being discontented. And what Mm. that looks like, I think, is yes, recognizing that there are things that aren't the way that they should be, but what it looks like in our life, instead of it being a proactive leaning into a communion with God to ask Him how to remedy it, it's more of just grumbling and complaining and frustration and assessing yeah. and you know just judging and you know we we do all of those things knowing that it doesn't necessarily feel exactly right, but it's justified under this thought of. Well, I just have a a way in me that God has given me, and it's this discontent that I have. Mm -hmm. So there's a root in it that I think is very beautiful and and important. But God does not call us to live discontented lives. He calls us to live with contentment in Him. You know, I think about Colossians 2. It says, uh, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted, built up in Him, established in the faith, 
just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So now I think before you get to the abounding in thanksgiving, before you get to the living out your calling, before you get to the what is my role on earth, what is my purpose, there's a rootedness, there's a foundation, there's a solidity, there's a contentment that comes from him. Like so often... I just see all throughout the thread of scripture over and over and over again, this whole idea of come to me first, then Mm. come to me first, then seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things, ask, seek and knock. And then like over and over again, I think uh, about all these scriptures that talk about this and quickly when it comes to calling for us, we're thinking, what, what did God make me for to do on earth? And I think we're asking the wrong question. We need to say, what did God make me for? And the answer is not to do things on earth. The answer is to be in communion with him. Yeah. Yes, there is a job that comes even in the garden for Adam. He was created by God. And, and we see even in Ephesians 2.10, we were created for good works. Yeah, that's So right. yes, we are created to do work. But our first purpose was to be in communion with him, mm-hmm. in rhythm with him. Mm-hmm. And it's from those places that our, our work, our calling, all of that birth. So I feel like one of the things that we do a disservice to our younger community, you know, our, our 20, what was it, 25? to 27, or 26, 35. Yeah, yeah like right in that age group. Yeah. I think one of the disservices that we, we do for them as, as a church and is, as people who've kind of lived life before that is... We emphasize, okay, you need to find your place in your work and what you're doing. Like, Mm. you need to figure out what you're supposed to do. And I think that that's really important. But the problem is that it's not coming from a place of contentment. It's not coming from a place of rest. It's coming from a place of work to strive and to earn. And, you know... You got me started, so. <laughs> hey, listen, this is why you're here, buddy. <laughs> but but the you know the last thing I'll say on that is I think that there's really this important thing that we need to pay attention to because we think we need more of God, like we need more of His insight, more of His wisdom. Where I think the issue for most of us is how do we eliminate the barriers to communion with Him? Like that's that's the thing that I think we need to be paying attention to. I've been thinking, all right, well, what do I need to, like, what's the thing that's from the will of God? You know, we ask the question, what is the will of God for my life? How often have we all asked? And then you talk about that age group. What is the will of God for my life? Again, I think we're asking the wrong question. I think Mm. it's what is the will of God? What is the will of God? And rather than just throwing darts and hoping that we hit the will of God, maybe if we seek to find what it takes for us to have communion with him, we won't have to ask the question. There'll be a rhythm. Yeah. It'll it'll birth from us, you know? Okay, so you say communion with God. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah. A lot of our friends who listen sure. may not speak quite as much Christianese as, as we speak. Yeah, sure. What is it? That's not Christianese. That's biblical. Yeah, but do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, sure. on a Tuesday, what does communion with God look like? What does that yeah. mean? Yeah. I think communion for Because I picture eating bread and drinking juice right. when you say communion. And I kind of feel like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. So communion, I feel like, uh, is... It is a biblical term, but it's actually a word that has a definition inside of relationship. Yeah. I think communion to all of us is not a foreign idea. We have people with whom we have communion. Like we connect. There's a sharing of life and exchanging of 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 circumstances and positions and and thoughts and laughter and entering in and pain and hurt and rejoicing and we know what it means to have communion. Yeah. I think what we miss is the fact that we are designed to have that same type of communion with God. We see God as this other than entity that desires to stay separate from us. And I think what communion really looks like is 
this exchange of love and grace for one another that is not foreign to us inside of our human relationships. Mm-hmm. Like I know what it feels like to, uh, you know, I'll give an example. You know, we experienced loss through miscarriage and especially the second time, it was extremely devastating to us, to our family, to to me personally. And I think as a man trying to figure out how to process that was very foreign. I hadn't heard a lot of people talk about it in general, specifically for how a man should respond in this. And so I was kind of lost in that. I didn't really, I was in the fog. I was in a little bit of a funk. But the thing that I realized was this communion in my relationships and in my community remember communion, community, right? Like it's all kind of drawing parallels. I see that these people can't absolve themselves from the pain that I'm experiencing in loss. Mm. They don't have a choice because they're in communion with me. There's an exchanging of life. There's a fabric that's That's woven together that when it moves on one side, there's a ripple and it goes all the way through. So if I experience this difficult place of pain, these people can't tap out. They can't say, you know what? I can't handle this one. Yeah. They have no choice. There's communion. We're in together. Yeah. In the same way, if I get a new job and things are amazing and whatever's happening, prospering and flourishing, yeah. there's no choice but there to be a response. That's communion. Yeah. And I feel like what we're looking at on, on a Tuesday for yeah, me yeah, with yeah. God, I think it's the same thing. This exchange of life together, allowing him into the processes into the places where it's not just in prayer of desperate need for something, but it's also the reality of this knowledge that even in the flourishing, I need God to be continually a part of this rhythm, continually a part, like present with all of this. And you can't absolve yourself from it. There's no in and out. There's no my Christian life and my church life and my work. No, it's communion is holistic. Do you see you're making me cry? (laughs) I'm like crying over here. Yeah, because I have had, I've had like two really hard weeks Mm. and I was just before you got to my office, I was literally sitting in my, and I'd open my journal and I I said, I don't know what to say to you. And I don't know, I don't have any words and I feel like that's weird. And so for you to remind me that, that I didn't need to do anything, that God is not absolved from my sadness, that he, he can't disconnect from what I've felt and he's been sad with me. Yeah. Is making me cry. Yeah, that's a really beautiful way to define communion with God. Yeah, I've never heard it like that, CZ. Mm. That is really beautiful. Obviously, made me cry a lot. And I think you know, there's something in us that is compelled to this idea because this is how we were designed. And I think one of the things that is important for us as mutual followers of the way of Jesus is to call back to these things. And one of the things that we don't do well in our community is reminding one another of the truth. And I think the reason it touches you deeply and me deeply and makes me want to well up with tears and, and to abound in Thanksgiving is because that is the very essence of what God made us for, to right. experience that communion. And the longing inside of our heart to have that place is so real. You know, I think about how often you see the word soul in the Bible and some sort of longing, dry, tired, weary, very closely to that word. Why? Because we were designed 
for our souls to be satisfied and in communion with Him. That's yeah. how He made us. Yeah. He made us for that purpose. And we use language that's kind of lofty like that, to your point. Like, you know, we can talk in churchy kind of yeah. ways or whatever. But I mean, in, uh, in the very essence, the thing that we need to realize, you know, Ecclesiastes 3 says that God set eternity in the hearts of men. Yeah. That right there is a picture of God making humanity with a... Uh, a hole that can yeah. only be filled by his way, his purposes. Yep. And what I believe to be true is the thing that we're longing for more than anything else is is communion with him. It, it is a connection with him. It is a leaning in in that space to know that it's not for us to do anything, to show him anything. Yeah, He designed us yeah. so that there would be this expression of love for him. We've shifted it to this place when, right. you know, greatest problem in all the Bible, sin enters in in Genesis 3. And from that place, it shifts from everything being in rhythm with God, experiencing communion with Him, to now the rhythm is off. There is no communion with God. Yeah. And humanity is now trying to figure out how to get to the place where communion can be found again. Yeah. And what humanity does is strives to work to earn that communion, mm. where God is saying in His graciousness, yeah. I desire for you to have it freely. Why? Because I made you for it. Right. So even when we get into the, you know, that's Genesis, Old Testament, whatever, you get into the New Testament in the Bible, you start to hear all this language of grace and Jesus and whatever. Yeah. It's a call back to the intention of God from the very beginning. Right. It's not a new idea. Right. Jesus showing up and talking about the restoration of things is not this new thing that it just starts in Matthew. Yeah. God intended that from the beginning. Yeah. It's crazy. CZ. <laughs> Coming in hot today. Coming in hot. You are not playing. <laughs> oh my goodness. You are the you right. You bring man. it out of me. It's <laughs> a, it's a... <laughs> you're like, Annie, your need for truth <laughs> brings it out of me. <laughs> you, your seven is dripping. <laughs> That's and right. And I'm getting excited. Welcome to the Let's office. Go. This is an ocean of seven. That's Let's exactly go. right. Let's go. Okay, so you're the right guy to write Soul Rest. Oh my goodness. I mean, you're the guy to tell us. Now, listen, you got to know that our people love talking about Sabbath mm. because they're trying to learn. Yeah. Like, we really are. In January, we did some rhythms. Um, just a couple of different things we wanted to kind of plug into 2018 and yeah. Sabbath rest was one of them. Mm. And so one of the reasons besides you being my friend that I wanted you to come talk to us is next week, your book soul rest comes out. Yeah. And so why did you write the book? I mean, we can hear why you wrote the book, but sure. why, why is it Sabbath? Why is resting your thing? Yeah, I think, or your first thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wise? You know, I think, the title of the book is representative of what I really hope to communicate through the book. And Sabbath is certainly a big component to what we're talking about. And I think Sabbath is an essential, uh, fundamental pathway for us to find rest in the rhythm of who God is and what that means. Right. But even when I call the book Soul Rest, it's really this other than kind of thing. It's yeah. this it's this uh, Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30 thing. It's Jesus saying to this group of religious people, come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then he starts talking about take my yoke. And, yeah. you know, that's really talking about his teaching, like take my teaching. Uh, I won't lay more on you. That's too heavy for you to yeah. carry. And then he goes on to say, you'll find rest for your soul. So mm -hmm. Jesus himself proposes this thing, yeah. uh, this rest for your soul. Yeah. And I looked at that and thought, man, what is that? I want it. Jesus mm -hmm. says I can have it mm -hmm. and I need to know it. And mm -hmm. so to kind of backtrack and answer your question, I think the reason that this is the first book for me 
is I believe this is the life message that I will share until I die. Do I believe you? that this, oh, absolutely. There's no question about it. That's awesome. You know, the, the on-ramp for me, and, and I love that you say that a lot of the listeners are hopeful to find patterns and, and rhythms of rest because, you know, the on-ramp for me was very clear. You know, I was serving in ministry. I had all of my identity connected to the things that I could do for God. Mm. I mean, I can clearly identify Come that. On. And there's a whole pathway to coming to that full awareness and understanding and realizing that that's simply not sustainable, just right. to be working to earn right. The second thing that brought uh, kind of a reckoning for me was what I referenced, you know, experiencing loss. And that was a really difficult and hard thing in light of someone. Man, you write about that so beautifully in the book, too. Especially hearing a man write about Mm. miscarriage loss was really beautiful to read. So. And very hard to Uh, write. I can't imagine. (laughs) I can't imagine because I write books, too. But yeah, 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 I believe you. And so I feel like you have this guy who's striving and straining, feeling like it's not sustainable. You experience loss and you recognize I'm already on the brink and now you're going to throw this in the mix. And then the third piece was really this kind of crazy awareness of, yeah, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm working really hard, but I don't have any community. I don't have any mm. people who are in that that fabric, that communion yes. with me. Yes. You know, I was running with some folks in ministry and they were beautiful people. It was awesome. But experiencing the season was was very foreign to me without like this communion this people this community and so uh, the thing that i always think about that kind of brought me to the place where what essentially is now is the book uh but the beginning of that journey was i remember when i took this step to recognizing i needed to step out of this you know kind of rat race if mm-hmm. you will of what mm-hmm. i was doing in ministry I remember waking up on the first day of that and just hearing so clearly of God, God's voice in my heart saying, now that I've taken away everything that you're known for, everything that you've been identified with, your platforms, your uh, meetings, what you're building, that's all gone. Do you love and worship me with the same passion? And immediately my answer was no. I knew it immediately. And that was devastating and terrifying. And, And the thing that's really crazy in that is that it wasn't that I didn't love Jesus, but that's also not what he asked me. (laughs) What he asked me was, is there this passion? Is there this, am I enough for you? Yeah, yeah. And my answer sadly was no, or I don't know, or I'm not really sure. And there was a quote by Soren Kierkegaard and he says, it's absolutely unethical when one becomes so busy communicating that he forgets to be what he teaches. Okay. Can you do that again? Do that again for us, because that's. I mean, I know you worked hard to do that one time, but we need, we need preacher. I need you to repeat. It is absolutely unethical when one becomes so busy communicating that he forgets to be what he teaches. Yeah, man, that's true for a mom. That's true for it's a true preacher. For everyone. That's true for every single person. It's true for everyone. Because you're preaching something, whether you have a microphone right. on or not. Your life is preaching something, and that's it. And and that awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, Eugene Peterson says something similarly. He says, how can I lead people beside the quiet, still waters if I'm in perpetual motion? Yeah. Like, these are all true. And then... Man, you got so many words in your head, CZ. Man, I just... You got scripture memorized like crazy. You got quotes memorized like crazy. Are all our brains work differently? (laughs) 
We're all made You're like, Annie, not everyone's as smart as me. <laughs> you, just because you can't keep it in your head. Come on. We're still going to be friends. Stop it. But the <laughs> okay, last one. Going. Yeah. I oh, think, the last one. <laughs> the okay, last, go. <laughs> I have, you got me in this mode now. Mm-hmm. But the last one I do feel like is really important and I think can be helpful to, to a lot of us is, you know, Mother Teresa once said, Pray for me that I not loosen my grip on the hand of Jesus, even under the guise of ministering to the poor. Mm. And the reason that's important is not because everybody is ministering to the poor, but basically what she was saying is, pray that I don't do a bunch of Jesus stuff without Jesus. Right. That's what she was saying. And can't we do that? And you're right. This all applies to all of us. It's not just people in ministry, like all of us. So again, to answer your question, the reason this book I feel like is significant and important and uh, for my life and coming out of me is this is something that I think all of us need to incorporate into the way that we think. We need to understand what true soul rest looks like yeah. and understand that this is what God intent- intended for humanity from the beginning. Yeah. So if you hear this after June, the book is out. Or in June, the book sure, is out. You can sure. get it. But for you, yeah. the book is not out yet. Right. When this show comes out May 31st, yeah. the book isn't out yet. What are you feeling? Yeah, it's it's a lot. So... Back to being a two. <laughs> yeah, because usually we get my when my friends have their books out, we get them the week or right sure. after they're coming out. So this is really interesting. Yeah, a lot of our listeners think about writing and consider writing. Mm. So what does it feel like right before a book comes out? Yeah, it's it's uh, exhilarating and terrifying. It's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the worst and best feelings you could ever express. I think you know the why? best. Yeah, talk about why. Yeah, I think that one of the best ways to kind of capsulize it is just thinking about how meaningful this message is to me. You know, it's something that I believe is birthed in my heart and expressed out of it from mm-hmm. this place of leading from mm-hmm. the Spirit of God. I believe sure. that to be true. I so I want to steward that. I want to honor God in that. But also with that, to do the thing the right way, it requires for you to be honest and vulnerable and real. And that's Brutal. that's very hard, <laughs> yeah. you know? And one of the best ways I was talking to my wife and I felt like one of the things that I felt uh, so strongly about in it was it's like, you know, you get to this place where in your experience, you, you experience God removing you from a burning building. It's like you, you have the potential of the walls crashing around you and the heat of the fire, you can feel it and you don't know how you're going to escape. And then it's like God takes you out of this place and it's just this beautiful relief and you breathe deep of the fresh air and it's wonderful. And man, I can't believe I made it out. I look back and I see just, and to write a book is to voluntarily go back in there. Oh, right. And it's wow. awful yeah. and wonderful. Yeah. And beautiful and terrible. Yeah. So I, I feel like that's the thing for me that I think. And why do you have to go back in there to write about it? Why can't you write from outside of it? Yeah, because if uh, it's so funny, you know, I over and over again will begin to talk about how scary it is and things like that. And the thing that will be a constant thread 100% from every single friend is the reason that you need to go back in. What everyone will say is, but that's the stuff people really need to read, CZ. Like, you know, they they know, like I know, but don't want to know that it's from those places of speaking from failure, speaking from my brokenness, speaking from what I've seen and learned from my own mistakes, that I truly do hope ushers and shepherds people toward a place of, man, yeah, I don't want to do that. Or there is hope inside of that. Or I can resonate with that. And if you're on the other side of that, but the only way to kind of see the hope inside of it is to really show the picture of the, the the depravity, I guess is the best way to say it. You know, it's 
you know, I think uh, often that's when, a word a seven would never use. By the way, yeah, depravity. <laughs> straight up, man. It's like we don't touch that stuff, man. Yeah, and and I get it. And it, it's like I I want to as a two minister to the depravity. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I want it, sure. the brokenness, the longing, the dryness. But I think the only way that I can effectively do that is to to live in it with you, yeah, you know, to sit right. with you. So, Which you do beautifully. Mm, thank you. So this week feels like a lot of things with the book coming out. Yeah. Who do you hope reads it? Who like when you're writing, when I'm writing, I have a picture framed on yeah. my desk of who I hope reads it. Who who were you thinking of when you were writing this? Yeah, it was so interesting because one Don't of, say everybody on the planet. No, no, no. I'll fire you. <laughs> no, I'll delete this not entire episode. <laughs> Like don't don't do that to me, CZ. Tell me the truth. I'm not a cop out kind of guy. I know you're Come not. On. I know you're not. Come on, you gotta give me a little more credit. That. Um, yeah. What's really interesting is like in the process. Obviously, as you're preparing to release a book or you know work toward pointing people to it, you have to bring specificity to it. Yeah. You have to really do have a focus. You know, I, I I do believe that. But what was interesting for me was very very front of my mind. I thought of people in ministry who are either vocationally or voluntarily serving yeah. uh, the kingdom of God through pathways that I think are uh, kind of these established ways of thinking about it. So at your church, through your church, through your ministries, nonprofits. But if you would expressly say, I serve or give in ministry, that's the first group of people that come to my mind because I just know how much of that is founded in striving and straining and and just posturing and uh, earning and all of that really is important for us to consider and understand how we feel about it and why it's not going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. So that's the first group of people that came to my mind. But secondarily to it, you referenced it earlier. Weirdly enough, I'm a dude, but I do think a lot about moms. Like I feel like... You live with one. Yeah. Yeah. She's (laughs) incredible. And I see through her lenses, just this reality of what it means to strive and strain and compare and to to work hard for the sake of hopefulness of meaning and purpose. And so I I really do feel like there's this place in my heart for moms uh, connected to that as well. And then, you know, thirdly, in a wide kind of area, I do hope that people can glean something from it. Um, But those were the two primary, you know, thoughts. I think that's really beautiful it makes um it is one of the hardest things to me because i as a seven and an includer yeah i am inclined to go well all of us right like we can all everybody and and then i have to go no like single women really need to hear some stories from me and and it's okay to have stories for single women (laughs) right right and go like okay primarily there are times not often but there are times on mother's day i primarily was writing for my mom friends and my single women friends doesn't mean i'm not friends with dudes that's right just means like sometimes that's the story you need to tell right I even think of people like Jimmy Fallon, people in country music, like they don't do stuff for everyone. Right. Jimmy Fallon isn't thinking about everyone. Right, yeah. They've, they know who That's their right. people are. So I think it's really impressive that you have a good mind on who you were thinking of when you were writing and who you're praying for as the book comes out. Mm. So, and I think it's a beautiful thing for a book like yours to come out in June <laughs> because pastors are tired yeah. in June. You just did Christmas and you just right. did the hall of low numbers in winter because it's cold. Right, right. And Easter. Yeah. And a lot of pastors get a, some vacation time off. So I think that's. Yeah. Really and I brilliant. think all of the points of identification with all of those things you just listed are inherently difficult to process because yeah. 
all of your identity is wrapped up and woven into those things as somebody who's a leader in ministry. And there has to be a time where you consider what does this really mean for my life? Yeah. You know? There's a dude, uh, Parker Palmer, and he says uh, that self-care is never Parker a self- Palmer's a dude? <laughs> I've always thought Parker Palmer was a woman. <laughs> Parker Palmer's a dude. Parker really? J. Palmer, come on. <laughs> I totally have always... He writes so tenderly. Oh, <laughs> I have always brilliant. thought he brilliant. was a woman. Brilliant, yeah. You're sure? Come on. Okay, I believe you. Go ahead. Okay, what does Parker J., Mr. Parker J. Palmer say? <laughs> so Parker J. Palmer says that self-care is never a selfish act. It's a mm. gift mm-hmm. to us to steward the very thing that we've been entrusted to give yes. others. Yes. And I think that that's why for many of us, especially people who are working hard inside of ministry, we don't feel like we have the permission to look inward, to take the time to mm. consider what it looks mm. like for us to rest. And yeah. um, that's why I feel like it's so significant, so important. It's not just uh, this uh, new trendy idea to kind of right. start hopping on what are people talking about. Right. It's, you know, Jeremiah 6, it talks about calling back to the ancient ways, the ancient paths, and there you'll find rest for your souls. Yeah. And uh, you know what's so funny about that verse is it, it's this word to the people to to look to these ancient paths to find rest. And right at the end of the verse, I think it's Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, uh, call back to the ancient ways to find rest for your souls. And it says, and we will not walk in it. So huh. if that's not like a parallel to 2018, it's right. like we look at it, we see that yeah. we need rest, but we right away we're like, nope. Yeah. No, no, nope, nope. Yeah. Because there's too much stuff to do. There's too, too many things to in my identity. And if I stop and then what do people think? And so I don't Ooh, know. Don't even get me started talking about the internet. Come on. People not <laughs> quitting when they need to. I mean, that's why I take August off every year yeah. off of work and off of Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Not because I want to, but because I don't want to. That's right. Right? That's because exactly it right. absolutely the first five days yes. last year, CZ, yes. I was an absolute yeah. insane person. Mm. I would open my phone and try to find Instagram and it wouldn't right. be there. And I was like, what right. are you doing? Right. And and it is because I was that girl in Jeremiah where I was going, I know, I right. know that I have right. put identity here. <laughs> I know that I have turned my heart here. I'm not quitting it. And I yes. was like, oh, girl, you yes. got to quit it. Okay, so tell me, think about uh, men and women in the church that are working in the church or, yeah. or high-level volunteers or whatever, and they can read three books this summer yeah. that'll realign them. One of them is Soul Rest. Mm. So pick two other books. So they've got $25 in their budget to spend on Amazon this month. They're going to get soul rest. And what are, what are two other books that you think are really great resources for people who need to recenter, realign, step away from the burnout opportunities, <laughs> kind of, kind of settle a little bit. Yeah. This is literally the hardest question that you could have yes, asked me. <laughs> good. Why do you have more than two answers? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like okay. Give it, you can give more, but yeah. I mean, I think it's almost in categories, honestly, as crazy as okay, it would go. seem. But, you We're know, readers. I, we love it. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, so around Sabbath, I think it's really important for us to do a deep dive in understanding God's intention for Sabbath and why it's significant. So a guy named Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote a book yes. called Sabbath. Uh, it's really insightful in ways that kind of blow my mind. Yep. Um, there's a guy named Walter Brueggemann who's written a book on Sabbath. Uh, Have you read his book on the Psalms? Oh, my goodness. Game changer. Oh, our Game mutual changer. friend Jason Miller gave it to me, and I... Yeah. At, that was the best book I read in 2017, no question. Game changer. Unbelievable. Yeah, so I think, you know, that's another one. Uh, Marva Dawn uh, wrote a book called, uh, was it Living the Sabbath 
holy or keeping the Sabbath holy, okay. like W H O. Oh, sure. So keeping keeping the Sabbath holy. So like, there's books about Sabbath. Then there's like this other category of books where I'm saying, all right, well, how do I get still and appreciate some of the rhythms? Annie Dillard wrote a book book called. Um, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Yeah, uh, like that's, yeah. That's another one. Um, Gosh, I haven't read that in so long. I'll pull that out for the summer. It's so beautiful. So like you talk about summer and getting still, understanding the rhythm of nature, why it's important, you know, all that's so significant. The, Parker Palmer wrote this book called- Mr. Parker um, Palmer. Mr. Who Parker J. Palmer. That? If I'd have had, if I'd have <laughs> sent an email to get- him, her on the show, Ooh. and he shows up, and See, I go, "Where's this is Parker God. Palmer?" <laughs> this is God right here. <laughs> His Parker, assistant call did me. not show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's him. That's right. So he wrote a book called. Um, I just went blank right now that sorry. we're talking about. Yeah, it's just so much fun in here. The mind know, loses its place. Sorry. It's called. Uh, let your life speak, listening for the voice of vocation. And that, to me, I feel like is another one that really helps to calibrate us, ask good questions. Um, but so if you were going to narrow it down, I really do think that one is a very helpful work because okay. it takes it out of, like you said, this um, very theological churchy space into a very relatable, you, you referenced earlier, he writes with such tenderness. Yeah. Um, and he talks about such... A, a beautiful spectrum of things in a very small book. And I know that sometimes, especially in busy summers, we need to kind of get right after it. And that's that's one that I think is really great. Okay, so Soul Rest. Yeah. Mr. Parker J. Palmer. Yeah. Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Yeah, that's... And then any, any three other Sabbath, Sabbath ones. Yeah, and there's more. I just, yeah. What are you reading right now? Do you read all the time? I, I like to keep something steady. Yeah. Um, right now, uh, I'm reading the book that, I understand you are interested in reading, which is the Paul book. Uh, I'm reading it too. <laughs> okay, well, there I'm you go. I'm reading it right now. It's like a... I'm interested to hear what you think. Well, <laughs> you know, I don't love Paul, but he's growing on me. Right. And I do love N.T. Wright. Yeah. And I've listened to multiple interviews of him talking yeah. about Paul. Right. And it is changing my opinion. We're teaching through Ephesians at Crosspoint right. coming up. And so I was like, I do a pretty good job not doing chunky Paul teaching yeah. on stages because I am just not a fan and don't study him sure. deeply. And so I thought, man, if I'm going to be a part of shaping, I need to appreciate Paul. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a it is a workout of a book, though. It's no joke. It really is. And and uh, I'm also just finished, well, I finished right before this book, his other book, How God Became King. Yeah, I haven't and read that one. that one, for me, I feel like is really important. I just read this book, How Breath Becomes Air. Have you uh -huh. ever heard this one? Mm -mm. That one, I feel like, is Who's a that beautiful gift. It's uh, Paul... I think you pronounce his name Kalanith. Or okay. I'm not exactly sure, but we'll get it. Maggie will get it in the show notes. Yeah, there you Don't go. Don't worry, your so girl Mags. That one is really, really great too. It's this beautiful picture of this guy who's a neurosurgeon who has a diagnosis of cancer, and uh -huh. it's essentially his memoir. So, as a neurosurgeon who deals with life and death, oh, all the and time, didn't he pass away? Yeah, yeah, I uh, do know the well, story. Spoiler I alert! Read the there you go. Oh, got, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's it really is. Honestly, it's it's a kind of a known thing, even yeah. going into it. But the beauty is what the book represents and how you see this beautiful picture of mortality mm -hmm. and God at work woven through all of it. It's a beautiful thing. So I try to keep everything uh, moving around what types of books I'm reading. So yeah, yeah some theological stuff, some, you know. Do you ever read fiction? Yeah, totally. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's definitely something that I want to try to keep my imagination. Yeah. You know, it's. Uh, I've got a lot of Madeline Lingle you can see on my wall. I'm trying to read all of her books this year. Yeah. And, and it's, I've got them all. You're crossing listed. them off. Yeah. Slowly. Well, well, you know what? I got really unintu 
science fiction. So yeah. if you ever want science fiction, I have a small collection. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to finish her nonfiction yeah. this year, but I don't know if I'm going to finish her fiction. Yeah, and I think, you know, I can't, uh, there was some quote, I can't remember right now, slipping my mind, but it's basically that the imagination needs a certain amount of freedom to browse around. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of what we miss inside, especially like the church sphere. Yeah. Like we're really good at reading like theology books, but like, yeah. are we allowing our imagination and life Come to be on. infused with non, uh, I mean, with fiction books and, and um, non-theological books? You How know? do you choose to pick up a book instead of picking up your phone? Yeah, I think we've, as a family, tried to establish some rhythms intentionally um, to kind of s- s- find health inside of engaging with technology. And so it takes intentionality to do it. Uh, For me, there's a great affection for reading. I I mean, it's it's kind of built into what brings life for me. So Mm -hmm. it's hard to specifically say it as a a counsel or like an encouragement. Because for me, it's not as hard simply because I just love it. It's something that I want to do. But I do think when you look at the why behind it more than the what, it helps to kind of shift your ability to engage Mm. because sometimes we look at reading as a what to do and we want to accomplish whatever the outcome is, including the Bible, by the way. We we will read the Bible with the purposes to do something or to get something, but there's not really a why back to that whole idea of communion. Like, am I, there's three things that I talk about in in soul rest that I think are, are really important when it comes to establishing rhythms of rest, that they need to be intentional they need to be substantial and they need to be sustainable. Mm. So intentional is saying what you're asking. Right. I'm choosing to go to the book and I'm mm-hmm. going to read. So that's something that I need to choose to do. Substantial is kind of part where some of us kind of tap out right there. We we don't seek to actually get something from it, from the time. We're willing to do it because we know it's important. We're intentional. But am I actually saying, God, Give me something, show me something, be there with me. Let me experience you in this. And then the third one is the sustainable. So then we'll say, all right, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to read. I am going to ask God for something. And I'm going to read every day at 6 a.m. I'm going to wake up and it's going to be 30 pages a day. And this is what, it's not sustainable for everyone. So we need to figure out rhythms that allow us to be in sustainable places so that we can experience it. So I think with reading, that's what helps to create those um, you know, those moments where you don't want to put the book down, you get lost in a book. It's yeah, because yeah, yeah. It, it ceases to be a work and mm-hmm. it becomes more of just an engagement yeah. in, in the time together. So. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I struggle with that still. I've, sure. I'm learning, especially living without a spouse and without kids, right. where if I'm reading, I'm alone. Yeah. If I'm with my phone, I'm not. That's a lie. You are right. alone. But right. what I hear in my head is, no, look, because I'm looking at all these people, I'm not lonely, yeah. and that's not science. And so I'm I'm having to retrain myself. Okay, at this time every night, you plug your phone in across the room, and you yeah. can do whatever you want off technology, right? but you just, you're done with technology. And then I don't let myself get it until uh, 8 in the morning, and I get up at 6. So good. So I have these two hours that are brutal, yeah. mostly because I'm like, I want right. to check Instagram, and I want to check Twitter, and I don't do it well every day. But yeah. it is like, no, you can get up and make tea and read your Bible and spend time with the Lord and not have your phone. Yeah. And And what you just said, what you just said brings two things to mind that I think are so important. Number one, 
there's significance to withholding because withholding shows us what our affections are really for. Get out of here. It's so You're important. Right. It's Ooh. hard, but it's really, and we, we need to find relative to our situation ways to do that. So that's one for you. And I think that's why I say it's so good, not prescriptive that that's what everybody needs to do, but you found a rhythm to withhold. And I think that that's huge. The second thing that it makes me think of when you just said that, that whole cup of tea thing is back to what you just said about being lonely. There was a famous uh, author who tweeted out one time, uh, you know, I feel extremely lonely. Uh And somebody tweeted back to him and said, yeah, how can you be lonely when you have millions of followers on Twitter? And he (laughs) replied, well, bring me a cup of tea. Oh, wow. And I just thought, man, what a beautiful commentary. Right. It's just showing the reality. The very thing that you said. (laughs) That's right. You know, how could you be lonely? And that's our perception. If you have the blue check mark by your Twitter handle, man, there's no way that you're lonely or deficient in any way, especially around relationship. Everybody, blah, blah, blah. And this dude is saying, not only is he well known, he's also a multimillionaire and he's well read and bestsellers and all this and he says okay well if i'm not lonely yeah bring me a cup of tea tea. and nobody can because we don't put our addresses on the internet there we go (laughs) there's your lesson folks (laughs) everything else aside just remember my best friend molly she's like don't eat on instagram story because it's gross don't put your address on the internet those are her two one time she saw the front of my house she was on i was doing an insta story and she saw the front of my house and she was like what are you doing delete i was like there's no way she's like take it off i was Uh, like okay you're right um, CZ, okay, tell me, here's the last question we always ask, it. because it's called That Sounds Fun. What yeah. sounds fun to you? What is a fun, what is fun for your family? Yeah. I, I think, or for just you? Yeah, I think for both of us, uh, all together, uh, family, myself, it's just being together. I mean, yeah. it really is. Uh, I love to be with my family. I feel like the times where I can fight to create more margin, to create more intentionality with family yeah, is yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, uh, as you've just heard, reading for me is fun. Yeah. Uh, talking about this stuff is fun. It causes me It is one of my to... favorite things. You're so fun to like sit and download with. Oh, thank you. I'm really grateful to be friends with you. Uh, same here. So, um, yeah. Okay. Anything else that's fun? Is that it? That's your fun stuff? Yeah. I mean, there's always fun stuff that creeps up around the corner. <laughs> I'm always looking for fun <laughs> stuff. So if you guys know anything, Do send know, some message. Uh, our mutual friend, Sarah, who's married to Sarah, Seth Abrams, yes. who we have an episode with about the Enneagram, yeah. is a one. Yeah. And Sarah texted me today and said, I need fun. And uh, I was like, got it. And I like sent her like three options. Yeah, and we you did. bought the tickets and we're put, <laughs> yeah, it's on the calendar. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I was it. like, yes. I got you, girl. Yes. I can find you some fun. Yeah. So much of fun for me is surrounded, uh, with people, you yeah. know, and just entering into relationship and being around people. So, yeah, it's it's usually pretty easy for me to get to a fun place if I can be with people. Yes, you're very fun. You're easy to be around. Thank you. Man, you're you I know you know this, but you are such a gift to the church. Um, you're a real gift in my life as my friend, but I am so grateful to serve in a city where you're serving the church too. Cuz I feel like I have a ton I get to learn from watching you lead in all the ways you lead. And so I just, I'm really thankful. So thank you for serving here in this city. And it goes out farther than you know. And I think Soul Rest will too. That's awesome. Thank you. Oh, I can't believe he made me cry. That's like two episodes out of four that I've cried at lately. I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm so sorry to the percentage of you that are dudes if that's bothersome, but tears it is. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with CZ. He's such a good dude. 
such a gift. I'm really grateful. And make sure you grab his book, Soul Rest. Again, you can go to soulrestbook.com or you can, any of your, your favorite local bookstore will get it for you. Lifeway, Amazon, really anywhere you like to get your books, they can get Soul Rest for you. Hey, if you need anything, I'm embarrassingly easy to find Annie F. Downs across all the internets. And if you need me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, whatever you need, or AnnieFDowns.com. F as in finding rest, right? That's what we need to be doing. So that's what the F will stand for this week. Hey, and if you get a chance, we are going to close our survey at the end of this week. And we would love if there's any of you left that have opinions that want to tell us things that haven't told us yet, please go and fill out that survey. Even if you just tell me who you are, we just would want to make sure we know who we're talking to. And so you can go to AnnieFDowns.com slash podcast for that. Hey, and if there is a pastor in your life or someone you know that is working really hard for their local church, why don't you send them this episode and encourage them to really pursue some rest and and figure out what it looks like to find that in their busy schedule. And if you get a chance to rate and review the show, that would mean a ton too. That really helps us and helps people know that this is a fun place to be based on what you say. So if you get a chance to do that, that would be awesome. All right. Well, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Go out and do something that sounds fun to you and we will see you next week.